Hello, digital world, and welcome back to another Spliced In Later here on a glorious day. It's very sunny outside from where I'm sitting on this beautiful, what day is it? August 4, August 4, 2020. That's very exciting, more than halfway through 2020, and it's been a year, that's for sure. But high hopes for August, perhaps by the end of this month, I'll have a review for you for a new movie that came out. I must touch wood somewhere in this room. Here we go, touch wood, because who knows? It could go either way at this point, but the important thing is to remain positive and hopeful. So let's all be positive together and keep our fingers crossed. But for now, for today's episode, as we've crossed the 50th mark, and there's still plenty more movies to talk about, still plenty of TV shows to talk about, I thought I would have a look at the 100 movies bucket list where I've been pulling movies off every now and then and pick something there to have a chat about. And for this one, I thought I'd pick a movie that I absolutely love, that I loved before I even got the poster, that I know everybody else in the world pretty much loves. It's very, very beloved, held in high regard, high esteem. You, of course, know what it is because you've clicked on the link, but let me announce it in a grandiose fashion anyway. Today, we are talking about Jurassic Park. Now, I love Jurassic Park with all my heart, to be honest. It's one of my favorite movies. And as much as I love it, I know there are people out there who adore this movie, who worship the very ground it walks on for good reasons. So I thought for the people out there, some of my devoted listeners who are avid Jurassic Park fans, this episode is for you. And for anyone else who just doesn't mind Jurassic Park or doesn't really care, welcome anyway. This should be a very positive experience for us all because Jurassic Park is a great movie and I can't wait to talk about it. In this day and age... I would be surprised if I'd find anyone who has either not seen Jurassic Park or is not even aware of it. To my credit, I didn't really watch Jurassic Park until I was a teenager, even though it had been out since 1995, for reasons, again, involving me being a scaredy cat and knowing that dinosaurs are scary and might eat people and whatever. I know it was rated PG in Australia, but it took a showing of a few scenes in a school classroom before I went, okay, cool, I'm going to check this film out. I'd like to say I've grown up since then. That would be false. But asking around people in my family as well, I was playing a game where I would play theme music from particular movies, and I would get my mother to try and guess what the movie comes from. Because in lockdown, really, you run out of things to do. And it was one thing to talk about that wasn't the pandemic. So that was fun. But she did get Jurassic Park theme straight away. It's a very memorable me theme from John Williams. And I said, don't you enjoy Jurassic Park? And she said, oh, I haven't seen it. I'm just very aware of that music. And I know all about it, even though I haven't seen it. So this should be a good experience. If there are people listening who haven't seen Jurassic Park, I highly recommend it, as I think 95% of the world would. To give you an idea of what it is, it is directed by Steven Spielberg, and it came out 1995, based on a book written by Michael, I think it's Crichton, Critton, Michael Critton. I apologize to Mr. Michael if I've butchered your last name, but I butcher a lot of names, so it's nothing too special, just something I do. It's a very simple, yet ingenious premise. There is a rich man whose dream it is to open a theme park to the people of the world with living, breathing dinosaurs, a very wondrous, magical place in his mind. And through 
all the money in the world for extensive scientific research from digging up fossils and everything else needed, he has managed to create, he believes, the ultimate theme park experience. He's resurrected some dinosaurs from all walks of life, plant eaters, meat eaters. If you're a Land Before Time fan, long necks, three horns, swimmers, flyers, sharp tooths, doesn't matter, plenty of dinosaurs. I hope there are some Land Before Time fans out there who agree with that naming of dinosaurs because it's much easier to remember than Pleiapididorpus and whatever the other official scientific names are. So before he opens the theme park to the world, this rich man, Mr. John Hammond, played by Richard Attenborough, brings together assorted people from different areas of science, a lawyer, some children, a whole bunch of people to come to the island where Jurassic Park is built, Island Nublar, I think it is, or Isla Sorna, I think it's Nublar. And while showing them the park and being all fancy about it, there are some cracks in the foundations of this thing. There's some corners have been cut, some safety regards have been poo-pooed. There's a conspiracy within the company to sell dinosaur embryos to another outside party, which eventually leads to a complete breakdown in the system, and voila, dinosaurs escape. And in the case of certain dinosaurs, Tyrannosaurus rex, Velociraptors, a frill-necked one that spits acid on you, this is not good. And what evolves is a race for survival to try and get from certain places, get around these dinosaurs, and basically get off the island in one piece. There you are. Very simple premise. It's not a very long movie, but it is an incredible experience. It's a joy to watch for a number of different reasons, as I'm going to go through for you now. If you are intrigued about the Jurassic Park concept, I can also let you know that there is a book that it's based on, which I mentioned in the past, Michael Critton. Uh, It's very different from what I'm told. There's a lot of changes from book to film, and certain characters are completely different. So if you are looking for a new book to read as well during lockdown, if you're interested in knowing what a book is, because, you know, there's so many movies, why would we read books? But there are plenty of books. Jurassic Park is one of them. And it's interesting to have a read of it and see where the changes are. Supposedly, John Hammond, played by Richard Attenborough, who in the movie is a very kindly man with big dreams, but still cares for his grandchildren in the books. Complete asshole. Whereas the lawyer in the movie, who's described as the blood-sucking lawyer, who's only out for Jurassic Park for the money and the fame in the books bit nicer, looks out for the children certainly a lot more than he does in the movie. So it's worth a look, definitely. I haven't done it, but I plan to. I've actually got the book here, and I'm going to have a read of it over the next couple weeks and see what I think. I think I'm going to enjoy it. It's been a while since I've read a good book, and from what I'm told, this is quite good. If it's as entertaining as the movie, sold. What makes Jurassic Park great are a number of reasons, the first of which being is that it's directed by Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg is very famous for his movies, for creating a sense of wonder. Whether it's the magic of E.T., the extraterrestrial, where you've got children flying on bicycles against the backdrop of a moon. Whether it's Jaws, where we don't see the shark, but you really get a feel of something lurking underwater. And of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones film, a real sense of adventure, adventure pulp, swashbuckling supernatural stuff going on there. So basically, Steven Spielberg is very good at providing a picture for you on the screen to see with your mind, but also allowing your imagination to take hold of what you're seeing. He uses not too extravagant 
It's very simple stuff he's doing. He's not shooting everything in front of a green screen and going, cool, we'll allow the CGI to tell the story. Where possible, he believes in practical effects. Where possible, he believes in allowing the viewer to make up the mind for themselves. I've heard a lot that, oh yeah, Steven Spielberg, he directs the children, the children's films, the films for kids. But looking for his filmography preparing before this movie, there's a few films on there I would certainly not recommend to children, specifically Schindler's List or Saving Private Ryan. He co-founded a production company called Amblin Entertainment, which has helped with the production of quite a lot of successful film trilogies. Gremlins, Back to the Future, Men in Black, a whole bunch there. Basically, the way I would describe Steven Spielberg is a Hollywood escapist film. Basically, you watch a film and it absolutely has nothing to do with anything that's going on around you. It can be a completely ludicrous situation. It can be a historical situation. But it's a way to really get lost in the film, get lost in the wonder of what you're seeing to a point where it starts to be very believable. You get engaged, you get involved, and you can forget about what's going on around you, which is quite useful for the period that we are currently living in. What I think is great with Jurassic Park is he combines two elements, which I mentioned recently. The the wonder and the awe for E.T. really applies to the beginnings of Jurassic Park, where we arrive on the island and we're slowly going into the park and we see the gigantic long necks or brachiosauruses, whatever you want to call them. You see the triceratops, the little dinosaurs being born out of the eggs. And it's like, ooh, wow, oh, cool. Look at these these creatures that have been dead for so long. They look amazing. It's great. It's wonderful. But then, about halfway through the film, it flips into a horror survival situation, very reminiscent of trying to survive Jaws when he's attacking the ship in the movie Jaws. In which case, when the T-Rex comes for its first attack on our main characters in the rainy, rainy confrontation that they've got, or the eventual run from the killer velociraptors, which are one of the most scariest things that I think exist on cinema. And they still they still bug me, even though I know where all the jump scares are coming, they still unnerve me. Heck, I even have played Lego Jurassic World on the PlayStation, and any scene involving the velociraptor where the level is literally go up to that moving grass and look into it. I know I'm going to get attacked by a velociraptor. But it's still the squeal, the jump, the yell, sends shivers down my spine. But it's being able to balance the two. So there's never too much of one particular thing. Yes, there's a lot of wonder, but before it gets too stale is when the horror stuff kicks in with the T-Rex and the Velociraptors. And when the Velociraptors are chomping down on people, you'll cut to a scene and you'll see some dinosaurs grazing in the moonlight that are letting our protagonists sleep safely in a tree. And they're in many ways, they're even protecting them. And every now and then bit of humor yeah some people have died but we also managed to lock that velociraptor in a fridge isn't that funny yes it is so that's what i think really contributes to jurassic park and steven spielberg is that sense of wonder and balance that he's got going on which makes it very good for repeated viewing i've seen jurassic park quite a few times now and it hasn't got old there's a point now where i know what's coming and i'm excited to get to each particular part of the story another reason why jurassic park is so entertaining is the characters that we get introduced into this movie. There are very memorable characters in here that are very charming to a point where if you make sequels regarding these characters, as long as you have one specific character, it doesn't have to be all of them, but they're entertaining enough to hold a movie on their own. Specifically, I'm talking about how Jurassic Park 2 stars Jeff Goldblum, but no one else. Jurassic Park 3 stars Sam Neill and no one else. 
basically there are different characters from each walks of life because John Hammond, Richard Attenborough is trying to bring in different people with different views of dinosaurs, of science, of chaos theory, mathematician, all of that stuff to see how they respond to the dinosaurs. And as expected, everybody has very different opinions. We've got our hero, Sam Neill, who plays Dr. Alan Grant, and he brings along with him his colleague, Dr. Ellie Sattler. Dr. Grant is very cynical with regards to human life in the present and very loving of dinosaur life from the past. It's very evident in our opening scene when it's very clear to you that he hates children with a fiery passion and doesn't want them at all. He'd much rather just keep looking at the old bones in the desert and thinking about dinosaurs long past. And though Attenborough, Attenborough, Hammond expects that he's going to be all excited about the dinosaurs and indeed he is very excited to see them, he is very concerned about the prospects of these dinosaurs and what they will do to human life and to life itself if they were to escape, to to breed, to replicate. It's great to see the dinosaurs, he loves them, but he is in awe of them. He is in fear, and rightly so. And of course, when all the dinosaurs break up, Dr. Grant is stuck with two children, John Hammond's grandchildren. And although he hates children, he has to protect them and he has to look after them. And it's his standard growing, bonding, his heart mellows a bit. He understands children a bit more, they respect him, they come to need him, usual stuff, and it's very nice and lovely. On the other hand, you've got Jeff Goldblum, who plays Ian Malcolm, who is the most memeable in this movie. If you've seen Jeff Goldblum in a meme on all your messengers, on Facebook, everywhere, it's normally from this film. Heck, you can even buy a pop vinyl of him lying sideways with his shirt unbuttoned, looking all sexy, because that's how much Malcolm is... Enjoy it in this movie and Jeff Goldblum as a person because let's face it, a lot of what Jeff Goldblum does with his acting is he just plays himself. He is a very unique individual, very unique actor. He's very entertaining to watch, but he has a certain swagger and stance in the way he talks in pretty much most of the movies I've seen him in and it is very evident here in Jurassic Park. Here he's saying, you are insane. You have messed with forces that you do not understand. Dinosaurs went extinct for a reason. The fact that they're back means trouble's coming. And he says this over and over again, most adamantly. And of course, when things go hectic, you'd think he'd be one of the first characters killed, but he manages to survive for quite some time, still shirtless, still shouting about chaos, and still very entertaining to watch. Richard Attenborough is our Willy Wonka of Jurassic Park. John Hammond, he's delightful. As I said in the book, he's a dickhead, apparently. But in the movie, he's very sweet and lovely. You can tell he's in over his head. His dreams are bigger than his actual ability to see the flaws in his design. And luckily, when things do start to go wrong, he doesn't sit there going, no, it's my perfect, precious park. I, It can't go wrong. I need to fix it. I need to look after my dinosaurs. He's, he's all about, nope, okay, things are going bad. We've got to get the hell out of Dodge. Other characters in here, you've got Gennaro, a lawyer, who has a very memorable exit from this movie, which everybody knows about, but if you don't know, watch the film. It's one of Samuel L. Jackson's earlier roles, playing a technician called Ray Arnold. He has the classic line, hold on to your butts, and he's constantly trying to fix the park as it keeps breaking around him. And you've got Wayne Knight as trickster, evil traitor Dennis Nedry who wants to steal some dinosaur embryos for an outside party for money and causes the whole disaster in the first place and his eventual fate is also horrifying but also pretty funny. So several characters, all very entertaining, all lovely to watch 
and they hold up this movie wholeheartedly. But the most important characters in this movie absolutely wholeheartedly are the dinosaurs. And this brings me to the most important aspect that I want to say today about why Jurassic Park is a timeless classic, and that is its use of CGI and practical effects in such a powerful combination to a point where it still holds up today, regardless of the advances in technology, advances in CGI that we've come through now, it still looks and feels real and impressive. If you were to make a Jurassic Park movie these days, and indeed some have been, you will find that 99% of the dinosaurs are just CGI, which is fair. We've got believable CGI, why not use it? But a lot of what gives the wonder of Jurassic Park is when you give close-ups on these dinosaurs and you can see the painstaking robotics and casts and actual real-life products that were put together to create something that the actors could act off against. When the T-Rex is chasing people, yes, it's a CGI T-Rex. In one of the best scenes in the movie where the T-Rex is stalking everybody in their little cars and their heads just knocking against the car and looking into them, that's a proper animatronic head, complete with even breath, and it's incredible. You watch it, and yeah, you might go, okay, that looks like a robot, but it's still impressive, and it's still believable. And it's not just the T-Rex. You've got the little velociraptor heads peeking out of the grass at humans right before they eat them. You've got a brachiosaurus head that reaches up into the trees and interacts with the people there. It's impressive to look at. And the fact that this was 1995, and to me it feels like it could come out today and it would be believable, is perfect. I've said it before, again I'll say, When it comes to the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, the reason why I like the Lord of the Rings movies more than the Hobbit films, among other things, is their use of practical effects, makeup, dressing people up as orcs to get that sense of realty. Yes, it is people in makeup, but they look like real people. And then you go to the Hobbit and you've got CGI orcs and they look CGI because you're used to a real life person behind all that makeup. It loses some of its impact, which I think has happened in later Jurassic Park movies. You do lose a lot of that impact when you don't have that animatronic feel to it. After Jurassic Park, certain other movies certainly tried to imitate that ability to use the CGI and the practical effects in combination to make impressive creatures. But in my opinion, none have really been as successful or have held up in the test of time that Jurassic Park has. And finally, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Jurassic Park and not really focus on the music. I did mention it briefly, but John Williams provides the music for this film. I'm hoping in an upcoming episode, maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'm not sure, I really want to delve into music and how whether you are a music aficionado or not, you can appreciate how music elevates a film. In certain cases, music can make or break a film, and John Williams is one of the most important parts of that. He's been in everything to be honest he's had his finger in many different pies if you're a fan of harry potter john williams if you're a fan of star wars john williams indiana jones john williams and a lot of those movies one of the most memorable things about them are the themes that are accompanied with the music with jaws that theme of the shark attacking people sneaking up on everybody impressive Harry Potter, Hedwig's theme, the owl flying around, that theme became the hallmark of Harry Potter himself 
And of course, the entire music for Star Wars, all the different themes, Darth Vader's theme, the Rebel theme, the Duel of the Fates, Battle of the Heroes, it's all John Williams. He somehow has a way of using his music to really encompass what you are watching, especially when he's working with the London Sympathy Orchestra. And a lot of using that orchestra really encapsulates the wonder of the dinosaurs. The main theme of Jurassic Park, where they're flying onto the island, you don't see any dinosaurs yet. But the main theme is swirling and buzzing, and you're excited to get on that island, even though you're just looking at trees. Not the least bit when you actually take in your first shots of the dinosaurs, the first time you see them proper, and the music swells up, and it really matches the feelings you are getting and the feelings the characters would probably be experiencing in the movie. The theme has stuck with all the other Jurassic Park movies since, and I think it really has become a staple to it. I would be remiss if I watched a Jurassic Park film and John Williams' main theme was not in the movie. It would lose a lot of the wonder for me. As I wrap up, I will give a brief mention to all the sequels that have come out since Jurassic Park. There's The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park 2, whatever it is, starring Jeff Goldblum in the main role. I really, really, really enjoy The Lost World. There's something about going to a whole other island where the dinosaurs were bred, where there's no enclosures and the dinosaurs are just allowed to run free and they've been living undisturbed for quite some time and then some humans just come blundering in. There's more of everything, more T-Rexes, more Velociraptors, more dinosaurs that can kill you and Jeff Goldblum's leading the fray. I love it. Then you've got Jurassic Park 3, which I think undeservedly gets a bad rap. Sam Neill is the star of this one. William H. Macy is in it. And again, it's returning to that island where the dinosaurs run free, bigger dinosaurs. It's definitely more grittier and violent, I think. And the scene where our main characters are stuck in a birdcage with the pterodactyls is horrifying. I really, really like Jurassic Park 3. And of course, Jurassic Park got a revitalization in 2015 with Jurassic World starring Chris Pratt, where the theme park was finally opened and things were running well until they started experimenting with dinosaurs and then all hell broke loose with the Indominus Rex. And I really liked that one too. I thought it was a real great return to form. It was nice to go back to the park. It was nice to get into the whole dinosaurs killing people again. Great. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out a few years after that. I, I'm not a huge fan of that one. I like that they tried to do something different with it but I just couldn't connect with that one as much as I have had previous films. However, the ending for Fallen Kingdom has set up a whole new scope and world and opportunities for these characters in the world of Jurassic Park. So if we're lucky, if Jurassic World Dominion comes out next year, I am very excited to see where that goes. And I hope I'm still doing this so I can come back to you and give you my review of that one. But suffice it to say, my review of Jurassic Park, 10 out of 10. Great film, great work from Steven Spielberg, John Williams, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Richard Attenborough, Samuel Jackson, Wayne Knight. Great animatronics, great work dinosaurs, great franchise. Definitely worth seeing. If you haven't seen it, 100% give it a go. But as I'm sure most of you had, it's a great movie, isn't it? Maybe we'll watch it again. Jurassic Park. Love it. Thank you very much. We'll wrap it up there. As usual, I appreciate everybody listening to me. I hope you are enjoying these trips back in time because we certainly can't look forward at the moment. But next week, I will be bringing to you either a look at the music or I'm going to look at a director and look at some of my favorite films from that particular director. It's going to be one of those two. It may be the director one because the film one's going to, the music one's going to require a lot more thought, I think maybe a bit more technical prowess that I do not have. 
But I'm pretty sure right up until Monday, it could go either way. So until then, keep listening. I appreciate you. As always, thank you for listening. You're a delight. I love you all. You've been spliced in later. Adios, muchachos. I'll catch you next time.